all the time I was thinking, that's not strange. It's not suspicious. Not if you're right there. Do you know what I mean? Because you don't have like spooky music playing in the background saying, well, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> it's all a conspiracy. Before we get into today's show, let's take a moment to talk about why we're here. Caleb and I like to use these table topic episodes to share some of the experience that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. We understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not be applicable at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal, and that's the motto of our show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, then you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me as I always... Oh, wait. You're not Caleb. Who are you? I'm RPG Gamer Dad. Oh, that's right. So, unfortunately, Caleb is unable to join us today for this conversation, but RPG Gamer Dad, despite the vast time difference between us, uh, was able to, to work this out uh, so we could have a conversation about a game he and I recently played in together uh, that's going to be out on your feed sometime in the near future. Yeah, I mean, my, my schedule is just, it's ridiculous. I'm so far behind. It's, it's not even funny. <laughs> And I'm getting further and further behind. But And it's basically, I mean, I work pretty hard. I, I do a lot of editing, but like I tend to record everything and we just generate so much material that it's been extremely difficult to get everything out. I mean, I suppose I could put out three episodes a week and, you know, die aged 39 from total exhaustion but <laughs> that that was the michael method for a while but i have uh, i've started to back away from that we're we're trying to do one a week and on occasion we'll have two just if it makes sense for the program but but yeah no more this two three four or even five episodes a week because it's just mm. it's unattainable you can't keep it up yeah but so at some point in the future you're going to get a chance to hear caleb myself uh, you and Devin, uh, we played a game of Numenera with Darcy, uh, who, again, uh, was on one shot recently running Numenera. And uh, there was something about that game that kind of struck a chord with me. I want to talk about it. I neglected this will be Table Topics 87, all about communication, if that matters. So essentially what happened, uh, my character was a telepath. And I had the ability to create a telepathic communication with anybody within a certain distance as long as they were would allow me to. And then there was a, a kind of a little thing we were working on with your character where I didn't have control over it. Anytime you and I were so close together, it automatically happened. But, but the thing that I thought was interesting is we were playing a fantasy game. But all four of the characters, we had this ability in the game to instantly communicate back and forth telepathically. And I just started thinking about how cool that was and how that might change the game, how that might change the way we act, the way we, we use our tactics and the way we communicated, because we all had this instantaneous in-character communication possibility. 
But what I found is it had zero change to the way that I normally play or the way the game normally feels. And that just got me thinking about how much I take for granted that when, as players, we're talking about a game, that our characters then act on that information of that above-table discussion. As I said to you before we started recording, I don't have a point to this conversation. I don't have an answer. It was just an observation. I wanted to get your take on it. Well, first of all, in the in the sort of preamble we did before the show started, something flicked up in my mind, which I hadn't thought of before. When I first started listening to your show, I think you were doing the actual play with the sort of slug monsters that were possessing people. Yes. Now, I haven't listened to that for a long time, but there was a guy as one of the players who sounded like he was maybe South American uh, or Greek. Spanish. Oh, is that what it is? Cool. Yeah. And... And there was a point which you brought up in the sort of the, the wrap up where you talked about the actual play, where you said um, that at some point the players had been discussing who should go first. And one of them had said, well, maybe you should go first because you've got the most hit points. And the Greek guy said, what's hit points? And you thought that was really cool. Right. And that's kind of that's I think that's the kind of zone I get into when I role play like. If that were me and I said that, I honestly would be in the character at that point thinking, what what the hell are you guys talking about? You know, and wanting to talk in character. And just for that moment, I would almost believe that I didn't really know what hit points were <laughs> and that we couldn't make the decision about who went first on that basis. You know, of course you can say, oh, well, you're stronger or you've got better armor or you're slightly wounded, so you shouldn't go first. So that was my, my first thing. And the other thing that relates to that is... We talked also about how um, I tend to use voices and accents and things. And I have a feeling that like a lot of people think I'm a bit of a wanker for doing it. But I don't <laughs> care. I still do it anyway. And But I've got a very good reason for it. Apart from the fact that I think my Scottish accent's pretty good and I want to show it off a lot. It <laughs> is like that when, when I talk with that voice or that accent, I know and everyone else knows that I'm talking in character and they can take it as that. So even if it's not an accent, even if it's just I'm like deepening my voice or or like making my voice higher pitched like I did for a Numenera game because I was playing a woman. And I try and stay in that character as much as I can. That's really hard, though. But I do it as much as I can. And then when I drop out of it I'm, and I'm talking about rules and talking about tactics, then it's very obvious to everyone that that's the mode I've I've gone into. So that's why I do it. I'm not being a wanker. I actually think it's a really good idea. <laughs> No, and and you mentioned that as a, a as a possible topic, and I thought, yeah, that is, you know, that's that's awesome. I really really like that as a, it's a way to to emphasize that without calling attention to it, because I kind of feel like that sometimes breaks the the flow of the game because we want everybody to have fun, so you don't want to be like calling people out and yelling at them like that's in character or that's you know above table, because that's not necessarily fun either. You know, you don't like being yelled at. But that's a way to do it without, you know, being mean to anybody. It doesn't break the flow of the game, but it's very clear. Hey, right now, RPG Gamer Dad is in character. And right now, RPG Gamer Dad is, is talking about the game. And I think more than maybe just if you're really good at a voice, you know, because, again, I have my Jamaican that I can go to at any time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it may not be as good as your Scottish, maybe. <laughs> But other than just because it adds a little bit of silliness to the game, unless you're really good at it, is that it that makes a very good reason why you should talk in character or otherwise affect the mannerisms. You know, if you're not good at voices, maybe you could always like lean forward on the table when you're talking in character and lean back when you're not. Back in my early, early days, I used to play 
for a short brief period of time with some some other friends. I'm getting way off topic, but the DM was like crazy into the game. And this is back before I was crazy into the game and I thought they were crazy for it. Uh, but he would literally wear a hat. And if he turned it backwards, it meant he was the DM. If he turned it forward, it meant he wasn't. Cool. And I, I was wondering, are there any other physical manifestations that someone could do to achieve that same goal other than, you know, the hat? Do you have any experiences or any thoughts on that? I don't know. It's interesting because in my, my live game that I play in regularly, we all know each other quite well and you're in the room together. And I just think it's really obvious to everyone when you are when you when you're in character. I just think it's because we know each other. And even like my brother, who is often the GM, he doesn't really do accents and voices so much, but it's always obvious when he's being a character. But I find it much more difficult in online games. And I don't know what the answer is. What I find happens in online games is basically the, the GM has to do a lot of the running and then each player will relate to the GM. So everyone's most comfortable when you're doing it in turn order because they can say, it's my turn, I would like to do this. And the GM says, okay, cool, roll this dice, roll that dice, or this happens, or that happens. And then who goes next? Okay. And then they say what they would like to do. And it seems to be quite difficult, first of all, to get any kind of character in character dialogue going and second of all to get the group the players to interact together as opposed to only with the gm and you know i don't have a solution for that i'm really kind of racking my brains for what it would be i'm going to be gm for a game for um uh not actually at a catacon but the virtual catacon as you know and thank you again (laughs) for that for doing that it means a lot to us Oh, no, it's cool. I'm really looking forward to it. And one of the things I've told myself, because this is going to be the first online game I've GM'd, is that I'm going to shut up as much as possible. I'm just going to leave dead air and let the players, because it's fate accelerated as well, the players can make up bits of the story and make them true if they want. Do you know what I mean? Like in that system, you can just say, this is now the case. And, you know, if you spend a fate point and roll high enough, then it is the case. And I'm just quite excited about that idea. Uh, as I uh, mentioned, I know m- most of the players that are going to be in that game are part of my uh, patron group that we play a game together, and they they hopefully will be used to that because that is a technique that I have started doing specifically with my online games as well, is that I try to just leave that air much more often than I normally do because I want to give them that chance if they want to start having a side conversation that I'm not constantly just pushing the story forward and they never feel like they can. So I mm. do that with them. Uh, I do it at my home game, but not as often because I think it's easier to pick up on social cues. When someone starts a side conversation, it's easier just to stop. But when yeah. you're playing online, like you said, everyone should be, and for the most part are, trying to be courteous and they don't want to talk over each other, especially if you're recording the game and that screws up the audio. So mm. you kind of sit there quietly until it's your turn to talk. So if if the GM, you you don't like dead air, so you're like, okay, we got to move the story forward, then you'll never have a chance for those side conversations. So I 100% agree just to be quiet more often than you normally would be, which is difficult for me, uh, would work. <laughs> and uh, the idea that I had, and I don't know, I'm probably too lazy to ever implement it, but uh, specifically for an online game, you know, if you had a bunch of pictures of all the different NPCs, uh, you could easily share your screen when, you know, Captain Joseph Bard is talking, you hit the little button and then a picture of a pirate shows up and mm. then everyone knows, hey, that must be the pirate talking. And then there's a barmaid and there's a street urchin and there's the fighter and you just rotate the pictures as it, as the NPCs. And then when there's no picture, obviously it's the DM talking. I think it could work. I don't know how much 
how much time it would take to rotate to make that work. But that that's mm. what I came up with while you were talking. How would that work for the the players? Is there a way of integrating the players into that? Like, kind of, could you, as someone's talking, could you find a way of getting your picture up on screen, or even if you're just raising your hand or something to say, "I want to chip in on this. I want to, I want to be part of what you're talking about." So rather than just kind of talking over someone or whatever, then they know you can drop in. Uh, well, one of the things that we we did that recently, we did the GM panel for the RPG Academy Network. I'll plug that right there. <laughs> and and we had some issues where we were talking over each other, and there were some issues where somebody didn't get to contribute to certain places. So we're, we're tweaking the format a little bit. But one of the things that we discussed doing is at the bottom of the Hangout, assuming you're using Hangouts, you can mute yourself through the system. And it will actually put the little mute icon on your screen. Hmm. So if you have something to say, you can unmute yourself. And that tells everyone instantly they want to talk because they've unmuted themselves. Oh, and so then, that, then you can be like, okay, that, you know, that's a visual cue that as I wrap up to let the next person talk. And then the only issue is if everyone unmutes themselves, then it solves no problems. <laughs> <laughs> that could work really well for a game, though. I mean, because if, if you're talking in character and you're talking over each other, you can make that a thing anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's true. I mean, in short bits, but again, for like an edited podcast. It's, it's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be cool for a couple moments but after a while it's gonna be like i can't understand what anyone's saying yeah i wanted to um talk about the star wars game that i ran on our podcast recently um because that was an interesting one so this was um rpg gamer uncle my brother and me and martin that's my regular group we do bring in other people but we often play with just the three of us it's kind of cool so we all know each other really well we know how we game and we all understand sort of instinctively that in that game, we'd, we're not allowed to have knowledge that our character doesn't have, um, which is what happens, I think, in role-playing games all the time. And I don't have a problem with that. If that's the way you want to run it, that's that's really cool. Um, but personally, I kind of default to only knowing what my, my character should know. And that's great, obviously. That's kind of a cool thing to do. It helps with the immersion. It helps with the role-playing. It helps getting into your character. But in that Star Wars game, when I was editing it for the podcast, I did reach a point where I got a bit fed up with myself because, okay, so Martin's playing a droid and he has a direct link to our ship computer that is sentient. And so the ship's computer is feeding him information that I can't hear because I'm a human. So about the 15th time that RPG Gamer Uncle <laughs> said something to martin this is knowledge your character has and then martin has to turn to me and repeat exactly that to me and i'm editing it out of the podcast because it sounds completely stupid i was like there's got to be a better way you know there's got to be some midpoint where i guess like at some point i think i just said to martin or maybe martin said to me do you want to just assume that i'm relaying all this information to you unless otherwise said and um, I guess it is as simple as that, but I do have to watch myself a bit. So the thought that I had there is that I do think you should start off that way and you sort of establish that this is the relationship. He gets the download, he communicates it to you, you absorb it. So like maybe the first one or two times, yeah, do it that way because that, again, that establishes the feel. But for the purpose of the game, eventually, I do think you would have just, I, I mean, I think you got there. And, okay, unless I now say I don't tell you something, 
assume that you know the same information I have so that you've established it in the beginning, but you don't get weighed down by it as the game progresses. Yeah. But the other problem with that is I've always got a corner of my mind that's thinking about the poor GM and how hard they have to work and how hard they've worked to prepare this game and where they need it to go in certain ways to get it to work. And so I'm trying to like force that bit of my mind you know right into the corner but have it still ticking over so it says i think the gm needs us to do x or y so we've got to do x or y but like we need to do it because our characters want to do it not just because they need to do it kind of thing and i find that sometimes uh, you know kind of that spills over i played a game with um rich howard over at uh, tribality.com and he was the dm for that it was the dnd fifth edition underwater Uh, one shot he's kind of specialist in that kind of thing and something happened quite near the beginning that just was so obviously a plot hook and I just couldn't help myself in character being like oh that's really strange that's really suspicious we should totally investigate that and all the time I was thinking that's not strange it's not suspicious not if you're right there do you know what I mean because you don't have like spooky music playing in the background saying oh something bad's gonna happen (laughs) it's all a conspiracy but um, yeah, again, I, I don't really have any any conclusion there. It's just uh, an interesting aspect of the game that I find quite fun to think about. And I think if uh, if Jim was here, uh, Jim McClure from Talking Tabletop, he he talks a lot on his podcast and just in conversations with him about the eight types of fun. And uh, it's it's something I'm passingly familiar with. I know there was an article online not too long ago about it, how it relates to RPGs. And I think uh, the Angry GM did a big write up on it as well. But I know there are different types of fun, and, and there's there's a part of fun that it's like the story. You know, it's it's the journey versus destination. And some groups and some players enjoy those little intimate moments between characters sitting by a fireside much more than they care about ever getting to the castle or freeing the princess. Other characters don't want to deal with the campfire stuff. They just want to succeed in the quest. They want to get to where they're going. They want to kill the bad guy, free the free the monster, or kill the monster, free the lady. Got that backwards Freudian slip. <laughs> that sounds like a cool game, though, if you run it the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> so I, I just think that that's something to be aware of as the GM that, you know, you know, try to identify what it is about the game that your players find interesting. And if you have two or three people who are storytellers, then make sure you give them plenty of time to storytell. But if you have people who are challenge fun oriented, then you've got to continue to, to give them challenges. And it's a balance between the two. And I think in the worst case, which is some advice we've given before, maybe you're in the wrong group. If you're someone who really th- thrives on the challenge and you want a tactical combat game and you're hanging out with a bunch of theater majors who all they want to do is talk and talk and talk and talk around the campfire, you're probably not going to have fun in that game. But it's not because the game's not fun. You're just in a group that doesn't isn't compatible with your play style. I find that really interesting with the, the challenge-oriented players. Especially as a GM, it poses a problem for me. Because as the GM, you are basically God. So if you want all of the characters to die, you can make that happen. And if you want them to all succeed with no problems whatsoever and not have it be a challenge at all, you can also make that happen. So unless you're running some sort of old school, you know, you know old school Dungeons and Dragons thing from a module where you're just going to say, OK, it says there are seven kobolds in the room. And there are seven kobolds in the room and it says they have this many hit points. So they have this many hit points. How do you reconcile 
players who want to succeed to be challenged and to succeed with the fact that you can make them succeed or fail on a whim. What I tend to do is I try and set it exactly at the point where it'll be very difficult, but they will succeed. But I don't feel great about that because like that actually means you are handing it to them on a plate in a way, you know, maybe you need to set it so that they will fail sometimes. Well, maybe I need to set it so they'll fail sometimes. Maybe everyone else does that. It's just me that doesn't. <laughs> well, and I think that that's one of the the complaints that I've heard about fourth edition. And it's something I kind of felt with fourth edition. Again, not to get into edition wars, because I do like fourth edition for certain aspects. But fourth, one of the tenets of fourth edition is that, you know, the, you, you set an appropriate challenge for the characters at each level. And they, after 13 encounters, they would level up. And it was all very balanced. Where I came from that old school mentality, you know, playing back in the uh, 80s, that sometimes you went to places that you couldn't survive. And if you, you know, if, if I expect you to go fight the goblins and you decide to head through the Westwood marches and you end up into the orc territory, you're probably going to die unless you're smart enough to run away. So I, I do think that that's a that's a more of an ageist thing. Some people who grew up earlier do feel that way. And people who are newer to the hobby, who's, who this is a game that we're going to play. It's like Monopoly. And it's not fun if a character dies. Then they're much more likely to try to keep it balanced or fudge a dice roll here or there to make sure that they do uh, succeed. In a perfect world, I want to challenge my players with encounters that are easy to make them feel powerful. I want to challenge them with encounters that are pretty much baseline to their level so that it makes further encounters more difficult. And then sometimes I want them to get into encounters that they either have to be super creative, get super lucky. So we're all excited when that natural 20 comes up. We're like, yeah, you know, everyone just <laughs> screams because they should have lost, but they won despite what the situation they were in. Or they need to learn yeah. to get GTFO sometimes and regroup. I don't know that I do that the way I want to, but in my head, that's what I go into a module or into writing an adventure. That's what I'm thinking about. Cool. We should probably bring it back to the Numenera game that we <laughs> opened up with, <laughs> with a telepathic it, connection. It, it, well, it's, it's Numenera. It's, it's mysteries. And, you know, we, we've just, we've just gone off on like a cypher. <laughs> but I think, you know, as we've talked about it and just, you know, getting my juices flowing, uh, the thing that I would suggest here is, as a group, you need to decide beforehand. Are we playing a game where player knowledge and character knowledge are completely separate outside of things like a knowledge check, which that goes back to my troll example, because I don't want to penalize a character for knowing that a troll regenerates. Because to me, that that's those are two separate issues. I guess in some ways they're both metagaming. But I'm of the standpoint that if I'm a character who grew up in a world that had trolls, at some point someone's probably told me, Hey, did you know that if you cut a troll's arm off, it'll grow back? Yeah. If I decide to fight a troll later, I'm going to remember that. So I don't yeah. I don't want to punish my player and say, you don't know to use fire yet because blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it'd be hard for the human race to survive if they didn't know that. If, <laughs> if, if, they, if they didn't figure these things out. But I think it's different when you're talking about ideas and tactics and like one person says so we all know this guy's a vampire right like like you know <laughs> like they've picked up on all the clues that they're that you're talking to vlad the impaler and as characters you wouldn't know that you know you're just going to meet the baron at the castle it's you know it's a it's a foggy night with a full moon yeah it's scary but your characters sh shouldn't just know that they're a vampire 
Hmm. So at, at what part are you playing? And and if you are going to keep it separate, then what technique do you use? Is it speaking in character? Is it a prop? You know, if I'm holding you know, a little fake sword, then I'm speaking in character. If I'm not holding the sword, I'm not. And then I think you just try to stick with it as best you can and then forgive indiscretions when they happen. Yeah, I think what we ended up doing in that game, and it's happened in a few games I've played in, and I think it works really well online and live as well. It's just that online it seems to be one of the best options is that people were talking in character a lot and relating to each other, but there would be kind of clear, obvious pause points where it'd be like, okay, we've now, we've achieved X or Y that we were trying to do, and now we're going to have a chat about what we're going to do next, and we will drop out of character for that because it might involve some metagaming, um, some, some tactical discussion. You can keep that still in character, but... I don't know about everyone else, but personally, I love it. I love the acting part of it. I love speaking in character. I think I'm on the far end of the spectrum of people who are really into that. But I still find it exhausting and terrifying. So it's great to have those moments where you can just drop out and just be like, oh, I don't have to concentrate quite so hard just for this bit. And I can fully understand people on the other end of the spectrum who aren't interested in talking in character at all. They just want to kind of, you know, um, roll the dice, use their stats and, you know, move through the setting and move through the story and everything. But I think we struck quite a good balance in that game. In terms of the, the telepathic thing, though, I'm trying to remember. I think it just ended up with us kind of having a massive go at each other, didn't it? Didn't it? In, in character? I don't think we got on well. <laughs> no, no, that was kind of the, the little bit that you and I started is that because I couldn't control if I was within 50 feet of you, I think, or there's some distance I was in, I would always stay one foot further away from you because you would, <laughs> you would just like interrupt me or, or yell at me and like you didn't really like me a whole lot. So I didn't like you in my head. Uh, yeah, those uh, we we tried to establish a lot of backstory between us and I, I don't know if it came out very well. But the other aspect I wanted to touch on was we were playing a one-shot. We had three and a half, maybe four hours to be 100% done. And I think if time is a consideration, then you should be more flexible letting out-of-character discussions. Because if if you only have three hours and no one can talk out-of-character, you will never get that game done. Yeah, you won't get beyond the first room. <laughs> yeah, pretty much you'll just be sitting in the tavern talking for two hours, which could be a lot of fun, but you're never going <laughs> to progress the story forward that way, at least not like in a module sense. Mm. One thing I was thinking about as we played that game that's, again, tangentially related, a GM technique that I'm trying to use more and more, which is to an RPG game. My uncle's quite good at this. He will let the players talk and describe what they're doing. And he won't say anything. He'll just let you talk about what you're doing. And that will be the truth until he jumps in and says, okay, actually, at that point, this happens or you can't achieve that without a role. And I think a lot of online games and one shots especially could run smoother. You could fit more in if instead of the players always very politely asking the GM, is it possible to do that? Can I see this? And just kind of assume you can and just go ahead and do it until the GM says that's not okay. So again, that's something I'm hoping to do a lot of in our Fate Accelerated game that we've got coming up for a Catacon. Keep plugging it there. <laughs> yeah. I uh, That is what I would want to do with my games and it's something that I'm trying to get to. But I find that you have to train your players 
to do that. The, you know, they either don't have that knowledge or they've maybe played with other DMs that, that didn't let you do that. Or it's just a new game and, and, you know, they again, they don't want to step on the story toes and break a game and then make the GM make up some crazy thing. Mm. But I do think, for me, I think that would be a fantastic way for a game to run where the characters just kind of tell you what's going on and, and you interrupt them when you feel like they they need to roll for that. I think that's kind of how Dungeon World is designed, or the Apocalypse World games, mm. where you don't say... I'm going to attack the goblin. You describe what you're doing, which would sound like an attack. You know, I draw my sword, I lunge forward, and I swipe him across the throat. And mm. then the DM would be like, okay, at that point, you have to roll hack and slash. You know, and I, I do think that is a great way to run a game if everyone's firing on all cylinders and everyone's in on that because it will make things go faster and it gives a lot of freedom to the characters to really build the world and themselves as they're just describing their actions because if i describe my actions you know and i'm i'm doing a very sort of arrogant flippant response to this overwhelming danger then clearly my character's arrogant or dumb maybe both you know <laughs> or if someone's talking about how they cautiously sneak up and they timidly strike out you know they're they're telling you something about their character the way they describe their actions without having to say I'm an arrogant bastard or I'm a timid you know, person. I'm unsure of myself. And that's, you know, it goes back to the whole novel writing show versus tell uh, that you're, you're showing me what you are rather than just saying, everyone knows my guy's a, uh, an arrogant a-hole. And then you just don't really do anything that makes you seem like an arrogant a-hole. But in our minds, we have to remember that the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about, because in, I haven't got that far with editing the Numenera yet, but I've, in, uh, I've edited the intro that Darcy did. And one of the things that she stresses is that in Numenera, you are, your characters are pretty much super competent already. It's quite hard to die and you are going to be able to achieve a lot of the things that you want to achieve. Again, I was listening to that and thinking, how does that feed into your metagaming? Like, I don't mean your specifically, but like, you know, anyone's metagaming. Because I definitely reached a point in that game where I was doing things that like in another system might have been suicidal <laughs> and in that <laughs> system i felt like i was fine like and i wondered is is that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing or just a, a different thing i wasn't really sure where i stood on that i think in that system specifically it that's a just a different thing the draw of numenera for a lot of players is that exploration you have this vast world with all these mysteries that you get to go to unknown lands and meet unknown people and interact with unknown things. So the fun of that game inherently is going further and finding information. It's not survival because those would be at odds with each other. Is if, if, I, if I go one step forward, I might die, then I'm never going to take that step forward. Yeah. Or I'm going to be super cautious about it, which then makes the exploration part not as fun or not as interesting or as easy. So I do think it fits that setting that you have to be competent enough that you can go, I don't know what's behind that gray curtain of mist, but I want to find out. So I'm going to jump through. Whereas like a first level D and D character, you're like, ah, no, I got two <laughs> hit points and a spear. Nope. Not going to happen. So I think in that particular game, it's designed that way that you want to have all these resources at your disposal. And you also want to have all these different techniques that, you know, you're going to face a level five challenge. But if we work together, we can get it down to a level two challenge, which means we should be able to uh, to survive. So let's just push forward and, and, and count on our tech talent to see us through rather than cautiously exploring one grid at a time. Hmm. Yeah, I guess knowing that your character has plot armor um 
it's kind of it's an interesting setup because you are at the end of the day when you play a role-playing game you're telling a story and stories aren't like real life there isn't sort of you know like half an hour of going to the shops and then going to the loo and then kind of you know every three weeks something interesting might happen or whatever so i guess if you are playing out a story it kind of makes sense for your characters to know that they have plot armor i've just started watching vikings i don't know if you've seen any of that tv show i have not all right it's it's really interesting because um, oh, i'm terrible with names by the way i don't know the names of any characters in any any shows i watch but uh, the main the main character um does some things in the first few episodes and it's like well that's that is suicidal you would you would be killed you would definitely definitely be killed and your family would be killed and your village would be burned to the ground and um and maybe that does happen in the end come to think of it but anyway um (laughs) (laughs) spoilers not exactly because i kind of misrepresented it so i think we're good but um but yeah but obviously he kind of has plot armor and he kind of knows he has plot armor and maybe in a role-playing game it's okay to play that character who has plot armor who knows he's not going to die when he does the crazy stuff because then you do get to tell that interesting story yeah i mean that's that's again that's just kind of a different version of the game where if you're the main character of a story we pretty much assume you're going to survive so whatever crazy thing you do is going to work some way or another it may not work the way you want it to you know the whole yes but from an improv stand, standpoint, mm. but you you have to know that the main character is going to get to where they need to be. But a role playing game doesn't have to follow that mo- that model. There you know there is death in the game. If you do something crazy, you can just die and have to open a new character. Again, I think that just goes back to the table. You set in those ground rules, like saying, "Hey, this is a gritty game. If you guys try to jump on the you know the beak of a, a rock, those giant flying monsters, you're probably going to die." Or I think that's super cool. Do it. I, I, you want to encourage them to do those crazy things because it makes a super epic story. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on what you're trying to go for at the table. Yeah, cool. That's really cool. Uh, all right. So uh, as always, we will throw these topics out to our audience. Uh, if you have had experiences with the whole meta gaming table topic or table talk, I should say, you know, where do you draw the line? What's okay? What's not okay? Do you have any techniques to make sure people know you're in character versus not? Uh, whenever the R- the Numenera game comes out on the RPG Gamer feed, obviously we will shout that out for you as well and try to get people, because I still think it was a lot of fun. Obviously, Darcy's a great GM. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that one, because it's been so long, I don't remember it very well. So <laughs> I, I kind of kind of listen to it as an audience member. So is there anything you want to talk about before we go? Any projects you're working on or anything you want to just sort of plug? Um, not particularly. I should have thought this before. English people are so incredibly bad at selling themselves. I've noticed this in interviews. <laughs> Americans are good at it, and I don't mean that as a as a bad thing in any way. They're very good at talking passionately and interestingly about something that they're involved in and want to sell to you. Whereas um, English people and um, Australians and New Zealanders are a bit more like, uh, um, uh. But yeah, I guess if I have to plug something, I would say um, RPG Gamer Kids role playing game which was the one that we wrote as a family because obviously with the with the handle RPG Gamer Dad although there's a lot of grown up specific content on our podcast as well there is a bunch of stuff to do with gaming with kids and that I think is a cool game because we love it I mean we made it so we should love it but um you know maybe you'll love it too so if you head over to rpggamerdad.com you can check that out and obviously there's tons and tons of back podcast episodes you can listen to as well which have child friendly gaming and not so child friendly gaming in as well is uh, is the uh, the game system is that free to download is there a cost to, to if people want to check it out 
it's pay what you want basically so if you want to get it for free go ahead you could do that it's it's up on drive through rpg as well but um if you buy it through them then they take a like massive cut so we'd rather you get it from rpggamerdad.com if possible please all right and then i also wanted to let people know that you do have a a patreon campaign sort of <laughs> and similar to that like if you go through actual patreon they take a pretty hefty cut out of what we get per month and from what i understand they took an even bigger cut uh from you because i guess being uh, in england or for whatever reason yep. you decided to kind of do your own if you want to kind of talk on that really quickly uh yeah yeah well i mean basically i looked at doing the patreon thing because you know everyone does it i thought i'll do it too and um yeah i looked at all the charges that that you guys have out of that and thought oh, that's a bit steep you know once you've, you've added it added it all up and then there's a couple more levels you have to go through before you can get the money out in the uk and i was just like at that point i was like so much of that of the money that people would think they were giving to help the podcast would be going somewhere else I just got in a bit of a strop with it and decided to, to do it my own way. So you basically, you can sign up for on PayPal for a monthly donation and um, get tons and tons and tons of bonus episodes. Because basically, you know that huge backlog I mentioned where like yep. I'm, I'm about to start an Atomic Robo series on the, the podcast, which ugh, I can't even remember when we recorded it. I, I think like Mike Olson, who um, wrote that, is the GM and um, we've got Shauna Germain from Monty Cook Games playing and Lou Anders, who is a, a children's author um, and uh, Devin from uh, the Sharkbone podcast. And it's like it's kind of like a like an all star thing apart from me. And I'm like, I, I'm probably made those guys quite grumpy by putting that out kind of about four months after we recorded it. So I hope they're cool <laughs> with it. because It's a lot of fun. But anyway, so I've been putting out loads of bonus episodes to the patrons. Um, so, yeah, check it out. See if you like it. Cool. So absolutely. Uh, hopefully people will check that out. There will be links in the show notes to all the things we've talked about. And as before, we'd love to hear from you, your experiences, your thoughts, and your ideas on anything we talked about uh, today. Uh, but for this episode, I am Michael, and I have had RPG Gamer Dad as my guest, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast 
at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>